Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics. Hope your week is off to a great start. Excited to be here with you for our regular Monday show with Vince Lancy, although given some of the interesting things happening in the gold and silver markets, we're doing this one live. So by all means, if you have some questions as we go along, type those in there and we will get to as many of those as possible as we go throughout our call today. Main thing we're going to be digging into is that we have seen some escalating premiums in Chinese gold and silver prices relative to what we have on the COMEX. So obviously this is one of the many topics that Vince is tracking and covering live. So Vince. Hi, how you doing, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing well and pleasure to have you on in here as always. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Good idea to have us doing this live because I think your community needs to uh, get some response. That's been quite the little hot spot of conversation on Twitter and amongst uh, metals people. So I think it was pretty smart to uh, do this live and show them how little we know and how little I know anyway. Well, I don't know about all of that, but good to have you here today. And why don't, uh, to start things off, give us an idea of what's been happening. I think a lot of the people watching are aware that we've seen these premiums escalated, but if you can start from what what really began this divergence, what's yeah. driving it and uh, what people should be aware of. Yeah, the the backdrop, right? So what we're dealing with here. Um, first of all, you're, uh, this is not a panic situation. The price between China, Shanghai Futures Exchange, and COMEX, basically, basically representing the West, has diverged. And it's not new in its divergence, it's diverged before, but it's attracted a lot of attention of late because of the cross communication, because of the fact that China is now advertising price more globally, and because we as metals people are always watching for differentials in price, especially in silver's case, when the vault is almost empty. So that becomes a lot more important when there's less metal to go from here to there. And the reason I say it's, just to, to finish the backdrop, the reason I say it's ongoing is because forever, since the beginning of time, there are price discrepancies between different exchanges, whether it be Shanghai, whether it be uh, the TOCOM uh, versus COMEX. And COMEX has always been the anchor price. Now, as an arbitrager, as a person who did this, back in the day, I would go in and when the price of, when the price of gold on the TOCOM was too high, I would sell it, I would do a, a yen dollar swap, and then I would buy uh, on the COMEX. So what I was doing is I was effectively through financial means, and I bring up financial because we're gonna to touch on that later on, I was effectively bringing these markets back in line. That wasn't me bringing it back in line, I was capturing the differential. The big guys would just make the differential go away. And if it persisted beyond, let's say my little money, then before you know, J.P. Morgan's like, well, fine, I'll just take the metal here and I'll deliver it over there. It never came to that because they were global exchanges. Everyone got along well in the sandbox and the market's kind of arbitrage. Now, now uh, uh, again, it's focusing on China now, bringing it back to China. China, uh, there are two things going on. And I know you want to talk about both, but th the first one is uh, how does China's policy affect the price differential? That's one question. And the other is, 
what is going on globally more or less tied to the mines and the vaults that is uh, creating this or contributing to this in a more secular way. Um, so what we're looking at now is, and you and I were doing the math off the screen off before recording, is that the price in China on the Shanghai Futures Exchange, which 10 years ago, nobody cared about, right? Now they got a lot of volume. Now they got a lot of the demand, right? They are they have captured, China has effectively captured their domestic demand and put it on their own exchange. And so that price differential uh, is, is a reflection of Chinese demand being captured and Chinese um, rules and capital controls, keeping that demand there uh, and sometimes uh, inadvertently or intentionally uh, restricting inflows in. Now, I'm not saying they're restricting gold in. We'll talk about that in a second. But so, so from the from the from the uh, from the uh, policy point of view, uh, the price of gold differential between China and the U.S. always fluctuates based on what China is doing with their capital controls. They are manipulating, and I use this word sincerely. They are not manipulating price. They're manipulating demand. They're trying to protect the yuan. Therefore, you can't sell yuan and buy dollars to buy gold. Gold suffers, that type of stuff. So that's what's going on at the very basic. What we're seeing now is we're seeing an increased awareness amongst the investment community and amongst your community that the price differential is A, stickier than usual, right? Uh, B, actually widening from time to time. And C, is concurrent with uh the U.S. metal vaults drying up, the lack of new gold and new silver coming into the vaults, and the increased demand that we see from China directly as well as from their retail markets. I hope that's a good start. <laughs> okay, and why do you think now at this particular time, is this just a result of some of the natural volatility and some of those factors that you just mentioned, or is there Obviously, you, you talked about how we've seen withdrawals from the COMEX gold and silver inventories. That has been going on for over a year, though. Right. Any any thoughts as to why now in particular we're seeing this? Yeah, um, I think, well, I think, first of all, to, to, to separate the uh, global change in how precious metals are viewed from the uh, from the policy changes in China, staying with the policy changes, I think let's pretend that nothing was going on in the world. Everyone was happy and the COMEX was still filled with silver and everybody was just joyful. We would probably not be looking at the Chinese price differential uh, in such uh, a narrow way. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on there? Because that price differential would be arbed away uh, over time. Now, <clears throat> even without a global problem, this price differential is a reflection of a potentially chronic problem in China, not related to gold, but related to gold in terms of how it affects price. Um, if you want, I could just get right into the nitty gritty of what's going on over there. Sure. Right. Now, I'm not 100% on this, but the people that I've talked to, uh, Bai Xiaoping um, and others uh, who represent both sides of the equation, and plus my own experience, it goes like this. In China, they use they they prefer to use capital controls to uh, support or it's all about the yuan. They prefer to use capital controls to support to 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 direct the flow of currency in and out of their country. 
they're not a free market in this sense. So capital controls would be, hey, if you're a Chinese citizen, you're not allowed to convert your, your yuan into dollars. So, and what that does is it strengthens the yuan. I'm not saying that they're doing that now, but they are. And it, it, it strengthens and gets a dollar. Sometimes it's used as a countermeasure to other policies, but they basically restrict the flow of money into what you can buy. So uh, if you have an economy such as China's, which right now, this is my opinion, that is struggling to come out of its COVID deflation or disinflation, uh, they're going to start using stimulus. And I don't pretend to know what their logic is, and I'm not saying it's bad logic, uh, but China will do various things and add things to the mix to support or weaken the yuan while they're rescuing one company or they're letting one company fail or they're trying to attract farm money. It's a very big, uh, complex calculus that I don't pretend to know. Two of the things that will affect gold are, one, if you have an increased demand in gold, and if you, and this is what the, the, uh, the people describing the problem as being a restriction of gold imports, Okay. To my knowledge, that's not that's not what's going on. It may be effectively restricting gold imports, but there's no prohibition. China wants all the gold it can take, all of it. Okay. They they want they are buying the gold. They're not selling the gold. Maybe they're restricting their people from buying gold so they can sell it to them directly. But that's the point. China is China restricts export of gold, not import of gold. All right. So there's there's your backdrop of that. China needs to get its economy going. I don't pretend to know how they're going to do it, but they will use capital controls to, for example, right now they're using capital controls, I believe, to restrict the ability of a Chinese citizen to convert yuan into dollars. Now, why does that affect gold? Well, you're buying gold in dollars. You need to get the gold in dollars. And because the gold is priced in dollars and because you're restricted, you are basically restricting imports because of the dollar convergence. And so you artificially, not artificially, but you create a demand. You have a demand in China that's not even, let's say it's not even a big demand, right? You have a demand in China that's now got to fit through this narrow hole. They can't get dollars. They can't buy the gold. They can't get delivery. So the Shanghai exchange, which is priced in Yuan, can't get gold imported from the US. And so what you have is within China, you have and I'm not going to say that China is a bubble at all here, but I want to use that terminology to describe the gold thing. You have, and this happens all the time, because of the capital controls, the price in gold will go up, not because they want more, but they do, but because they can't get it, they can't convert to dollars. And so the gold price goes up, people are chasing, there's less gold coming into the country, they have to deal with the gold they have around, they have to source it, where is it? It's in China, where is it? It's in Russia, we got to get it, we got to get some free, and the price goes up. And so what ends up happening is the price goes up. And in the old days, in the old days, the U.S. would come in or a bank would come in and say, oh, look at that. That's $100 over. Sold. And then they buy the COMEX. And they wait a couple of days. Well, I would do that. Wait a couple of days. And it would converge when China's capital controls changed or when demand got satisfied. Either COMEX would go up or Shanghai would go down, sometimes both, and they would converge. But now, the reason I believe it's persistent 
and staying there, this capital control effect on the market itself in China is because there is a real problem sourcing gold for China outside of its uh, little uh, little area. We'll call it the BRICS, right? Outside of the BRICS, right? It's becoming restricted. And as a result of that, the arbitrageable difference stays longer. Guys like me who can't get access to China anymore can't sell it and buy it because of the sanctions, because of deglobalization. All the financials are getting broken up and shut down. And so what you'll see is you will see the volatility of the difference. This is China and this is the U.S. Uh, normally, when the capital controls happen, the volatility, it, they move their markets and gold. Gold is a small market compared to everything else, right? But now what you're seeing is instead of it going like this, up 50, down 50, up 50, down 50, it's going up 50, down uh, up 20, up 80, up 50. And so it's doing this now. In fact, you and I were doing the math. You said to me uh, gold was how much higher a couple of days ago in Shanghai than here? We'd seen reports that it was as much as $100 higher. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and where is it now? It seems to be about 50 based on current pricing. Right, right, right. In fact, we did look at the price that that a few days ago, gold was 2004. And in the US, it was not. This is my math, not yours. 2004. And I sold the price in the US at 1939. Now today, the price is 2004. And the price in the US is 1950. So COMEX is converging with uh, with um, Chinese demand. So one side is giving in. Now, sometimes the Chinese side will give in. But that's what's going on. It's not that behavior right now at this moment in isolation is normal, meaning the differential coming and going. What's not normal is the persistence and the fact that it's constantly on the upside these days. That's where the problem is. I hope that helps. So is this something that the Chinese government can easily control if they want to bring those spreads down, that they can do that? And what do you think they might be looking at or thinking about going forward? Or would they want to leave this? Differential as wide as it is, uh, something else that I've heard people suggest, uh, could this be related to what we heard a lot about didn't quite happen overtly at the BRICS meeting, but again, seeing movement towards uh, some sort of gold settlement mechanism, could those be connected or, or what do you think is next for China? Okay, start with the connection part. Yes, they're connected in a big picture uh, we want to show the world that the price in the U.S. is not right. They're connected. No doubt about that. They are taking little by little price dominance of the COMEX away from it. And that's the big picture stuff. But staying on the on the on the narrow picture stuff, uh, your question about uh, uh, how much could they change it? How much could they direct it? They can do it a lot. Now, I don't think, I personally, from what little I know about China is there are two markets there. There is the state and there are the people. And the state will buy, the, buy gold whenever it wants, however it wants, at whatever price it deems necessary. Let's pretend that the state right now is buying gold on the COMEX. They're not, but let's just say that at the COMEX price, they're buying it from I don't know, Lithuania or something like that, right? So they're buying it in 1950. Their people don't have access to a banker, to Lithuania, to central banks. Their people have to buy it from their exchange. 
So while China is the state, the country is saying we're buying gold expressly for the purpose of giving us an alternative to the dollar and making all of our potential BRICS partners comfortable. We have gold, trade with yuan, gold, yuan together, we're okay, we don't need the dollar, you know, your gold is safe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But while they're doing that, while they're looking at the bigger picture at the state level, they're just buying gold, constantly accumulating. In the, in, in the, in the short term, they're also tweaking their controls to get their economy right, whatever the reasons are. And they haven't begun to unleash. Now, this is kind of sensational to say, but I mean it. China has not begun to unleash the domestic retail buying that they have. And if they did, we would know it overnight. What do I mean by that? If China, for some reason, had decided everything is fine, we don't care about anything else, we just want the price of gold to truly reflect supply and demand, yeah, they could turn a knob and they can have the price of gold go up. Would they manipulate the price of gold higher? Yeah, they would. But but they wouldn't expect it to trade anywhere in the world there except domestically. What they're doing is they're advertising to the world, this is the price of gold and it's $100 higher and that's the price of gold over there. Well, how come we have a trillion dollars worth of gold trading and they have $500 worth of gold? Which price matters more? So as the volumes grow in Shanghai, the price discovery in Shanghai becomes more real. And as the price discovery becomes more real, the price discovery in the COMEX becomes less real. And, and you can see that manifesting in the vaults, which we're not going to get into at this moment. So to answer the question in um, more concisely, uh, can China do something uh, to draw attention to this? Can China do something to uh, differentiate themselves more? Yes, and they're in the process of doing that. There's, an there's a saying by uh, uh, a Chinese general, I'm not sure what it was said, but I noted it years ago. And someone was asking him, how much gold does China own? You know, and they were trying, you know, what's your real gold? You have some hidden in Mongolia, all this other stuff. And he said, China owns gold through its people. Now, I, when I read that then, the, the tone of it was, in my, the way I heard it was, oh, they're going to confiscate their people's gold. That's how I thought about it then. But no, that was the wrong way to look at it. The right way to look at it is if they want to buy gold, they will get their people to buy it for them. So when China's ready to come out of the closet, when China's ready to really put their thumb on the scale, they're going to say to their people, go buy gold. We'll make it electronic. You can buy it directly with their yuan or renminbi, however you want to look at it, which they can already do. And they're going to direct them to do it by saying things like, you know what? You can own as many dollars as you want. And they're going to convert yuan to dollars. They're going to take the dollars and buy gold. And the price of gold is going to go up. And you and I, as reasonable people, are going to say, well, what's the right price over there or over here? And I'm going to say as a trader, I don't care. I'm going to sell it over there and buy it over here, which is what I did my whole career. Sold, buy. I see a price discrepancy, but now, but now the big picture gets in the way. I can't take the gold out of Comex to go there anymore. Somebody already took it. Somebody already took all the silver, $2 spread, and nobody's taking advantage of it. Not to be emotional about it, but $2 spread 
in silver between Comex and China, and nobody's going in there, sold Chinese by Americans and shipping it. No one's doing that. I'll tell you why that's happening. Because in China, the capital controls get in the way, number one. Number two, there are import duties, which effectively raise the price at the end, at the back end. And number three, the banks are making more money doing something else. And that something else is buying gold on the Comex and selling it privately to countries and, and other places. So that's it. Yeah, they're going to do it. They're not doing it tomorrow. They're not doing it today. They have bigger problems to worry about. But that is an arrow in their quiver. Yes. Okay. And to be clear, you mentioned in the beginning, this isn't a panic situation yet. No. Is there a certain level you would look towards or if it goes and persists for a certain amount of time? I think a lot of people are wondering, could this be sign of problems at the COMEX and, and perhaps a change in the pricing system that we all know and love so much. Um, yeah. Um, what would be a red flag that something might might be going off course? So what would make me as a, as a market participant start to get nervous and just pile in long? That's really how I would, if, if I figured out what you're saying happening, what would I do? I would just mortgage the house, sell the car, and get long. And uh, the answer is: is there a is there so is there a price? Is there a percentage spread? Is there a difference? No, not for me. But but there are there are reference points that people should look up. People like uh, Michael Lynch. Uh, he's the kind of guy that'll look up stuff like this. And I used to look up this all the time. But what you would want to do is you'd want to say. How do I determine when things are out of the normal? Hey, so this guy Vince is saying it's normal. It gets out of whack. Uh, Bob um, uh, from Profits Plus, Bob Coleman, uh, he and I have talked about it. They used to put in a stop on buying above 40. Now they let it go up to 100. What's going on here? So if you were to be able to chart the differential going back forever, you would see the ebb and flow. You would actually start to look at it as a tradable um, um, market. So I have, let's, I'll make this up. I have never seen the differential go above $200. If it gets above $200, the first thing, there you go, that's perfect. If the first thing I'm going to do, if the spread gets, let's say my magic number is $200. Okay. Let's pretend my magic number is $200. If the spread gets above $200, the first thing I'm going to do as a trader, not as an investor, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open an arbitrage desk. I'm going to go into China. I'm going to cut a deal with the government. I'm going to give them whatever kickbacks or taxes I have to. And I'm going to say, I want to take your gold and I want to, I, I want to sell gold to you. And I want to take it from the, from the U.S. China's going to say, sure. Why? Because they're importers of gold. The price differential is their way of attracting gold from the United States. So at $200, at $200, I'm going to open up my arbitrage desk. So now I run back to the U.S. and I go, hey, I want to take delivery of COMEX. And they say, well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to take delivery. And I say, well, where's it going? Well, it's going to me. It's none of your business where it's going to say, well, we don't really know you. We're not going to let you do it. So I call JP Morgan. They become my bank and they do it. And JP Morgan does it. And they're like, well, we're not going to let you do this, Vince. We're not. Gonna, that's our business. We do that. They're not going to let me get in the way of that. So my arbitrage idea right away stops because I'm small potatoes. Right. Everyone, no one is left to arbitrage it except the bullion banks. 
Now, the second thing, it's above $200. I can't arbitrage. What am I going to do? Well, there's two things I can do. One is buy futures on the COMEX and sell futures in Shanghai and wait for them to converge. People do that all the time. I'm not doing that because $200 gets you $300, gets you $400, gets you $1,000. And when it's over, yes, they'll converge to the same price, but I'll be dead and broke by that. I can't play that game. So the correct play, the only play is you come up with a magic number and you go in and you buy American gold or American silver, preferably American silver, to be honest with you. And not just because I'm here. Um, uh, you, you say, okay, when the price of silver in China is, the differential is $4 from the US, you're like, you know what? This is crazy. Either American silver is going to go up or Chinese silver is going to go down and they're going to meet in the middle or, you know, I don't know what's going on and you're going to buy it. Are you going to sell it in China? No, but you at least know that somebody's paying that over there. That's a sign to get longer. Um, if it persists, so for example, um, if the differential persists, so it goes from $1, let's say silver's $2, it goes to $4. And there's my trigger and I go out and I buy silver and the price of silver on the COMEX never moves. And the price of uh, China keeps going up $4, $5. So I'm not losing money. I'm not losing money, right? It's just going, I'm, I'm, but I'm not making money because the US silver is not going up. Well, I'm going to move to China. No, but if I can't move to China what, or Singapore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, I'm stuck with this and I'm not going to get the price appreciation I want. But if I ever really want to get the real price, I will. And I'll do that by finding someone to trade with overseas. But the, the bottom line is, if there is no secular, for example, see this buy it in America because it's priced higher in China. Normally, I would say that's irresponsible. In a, in a, in a balanced, in a well-balanced normal market, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's irresponsible. Because unless you can take the sell side with the buy side, you're just long hoping that this one catches up to that one. But in this environment, an environment where the vaults are almost empty, that's important. Number two, the vaults are not being refilled. There's no flow that goes into the vaults that stays there. It goes in, it goes out. It's like a toll booth now. We are in a above ground, we are, we are in a supply deficit and it's growing and it will continue to grow until they find all the silver above ground that nobody's claimed yet. And when it's gone, then the price converges, probably at the higher price. So in the past, I would say to you, it's irresponsible to just be long silver because it's higher in China, because the US has a much stronger uh, uh, pull economically. Well, we don't anymore. So their demand could be bigger than our supply. And the proof of that is our vaults are empty. Long story short, um, find a price differential and say to yourself, wow, above $4 silver China to US, maybe I'll buy some. Now, maybe you won't, but you'll pay attention. See how it resolves. If the price of China collapses, then you know the US is still in control. If the price of the US rallies, then you know the US is giving up control. That's all I can say. Okay, and you mentioned the miners in there, which was another thing I wanted to dig into. Do you think we're going to start seeing more deals going direct from the miners straight to China? Is there a certain level that you would 
guesstimate in in terms of the spread that would make that more feasible or yes um i think i think uh let me start with this the miners are already doing direct deals with countries they're not using the exchange anymore at least not as much what do i mean by that if i'm a, i'll give you a real example in 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 Mexico, typically, you pull silver out of the ground as a miner, and you sell it, and you sell it, uh, and and then it goes to China, and you sell it through a bank. You sell it. It's kind of like this: the exchange is where people used to meet to do deals. I'm a miner. I pull it out of the ground. I I'm simplifying this greatly. I call the exchange. I see the price. I hedge. And then when I have a customer call me and say, I want to buy it, I give them the silver and then I take my hedge off. That's the mechanics of it. Another mechanics of it would be, I buy the silver. I call my bank, JP Morgan. I say, I have silver to hedge. They hedge it for me. They manage the risk. They give me credit. And that's when the exchange was the center of the universe. And the center of the universe was extremely important in a global market. I'm a Latin America silver miner and my customer, the guy who ultimately buys from me, is a Chinese solar manufacturer that I don't even know, right? Okay, well, I'm in Mexico. I don't trust the exchange anymore. Why? Because there's no silver left. Because everyone else is taking their silver and going home, number one. Number two, I don't trust the international order anymore. Geez, I mean, the U.S. sanctioned Russia. They're a nuclear power. How do I know they won't sanction me next? How do, they, how do I know they won't, right? So you start to pull in rates and you say, well, I'm not going to do business on the exchange anymore, right? And so now you say, where am I going to do my business if I'm not going to go through my bank, which will go through the exchange? Say, well, who has the network? The exchange was the hub. It was the centralized uh, market. And the exchange does three things. It sources silver. It's a vault, right? It it verifies silver, it's a, a brand, and it broadcasts price. Well, now I don't trust the exchange anymore. It's not worth my time. I call my bank up, JP Morgan, I say, hey, I want to hedge my silver, but I don't want to use COMEX. And they say, fine. I happen to have a buyer in China, a solar panel manufacturer, who needs to buy silver. And that's what's going on. JP Morgan, it always starts with demand. JP Morgan goes into China and says, and, and this is coming from other people, not just me. China's silver supply that they pull out of the ground isn't enough to satisfy their domestic demand. So they pull out a million ounces, they need 5 million. So they go all over the world getting 4 million ounces. London, COMEX, a couple countries here and there, right? But JP Morgan is, I'm making this up, it might not be JP Morgan. JP Morgan is a bank that helps them do that. Well. If they're not using the exchange anymore, the bank calls JP Morgan up and says, dude, I don't have my network anymore. I can't trade with this country. America gets mad if I do that. Uh, you know, the supply chains have broken down. What do I do? And JP Morgan says, I know who makes the silver. And they broker a deal. That's what banks are. They broker a deal. They go to the guy in Mexico and goes, hey, how'd you like to have your silver supply taken every month for the next five years? I got a buyer. They're brokers. 
And so China gets a deal done with a Mexican miner. It's happening right now. Now, does that make COMEX irrelevant? No. See, first they pull all the silver out of COMEX that they can. And then they figure out how to um, certify silver or, you know, certify it, assay it, however you want to, so that's it's up to spec. But they still use the COMEX price for deals. Now, I don't mean they use that price. I mean, Mexico says, I will sell you uh, 100 million ounces. And China goes, I will buy them. What's the price? It's COMEX plus $2. It's a reference point. You see this in oil all the time, right? It's not the price that the institutions trade off of. It is the price that they reference because it is still transparent. So to answer your question, to bring it around and, and answer your question, miners are already doing business with countries off exchange directly or through their bullion banks that represent them. You see it in Ghana. When Ghana says to Newmont, sell us some of your gold directly, uh, you know, we're going to use it for fuel oil, that's a deal. They're nationalizing a portion of their gold that way, right? In Latin America, when Mexico says, we're going, our workers are going on strike because we want to get more money from Newmont to pull silver out of the ground, that's Mexico saying we're nationalizing our mines, little by little. U.S. is doing it too. You can't get your silver out of the U.S. and go to another country unless you go through a know your customer routine. So the miners are already trading off exchange. What we used to call the OTC market or the physical market is going to grow in private deals. Remember, before there were exchanges, there were businessmen. And with the exchange gone, the price is the only thing, the last thing that we'll know about and we'll still trust it, even though no one else is using it. It's already happening. All right, makes sense. And quick note, if people have questions, uh, I have one more here to run by Vince, but if you do have questions for people watching live at home, start sending those in. Uh, although Vince, <clears throat> you mentioned a couple of times about the drawdown in the US inventories. We've seen that and talked about it plenty on the silver side. You can see, uh, again, really started during the COMEX uh, silver squeeze two and a half uh, coming up on three years ago in just a couple of months. So yep. uh, we've seen that on silver, same thing on gold. And uh, is that something that you think the officials, is there some magic rabbit they can pull out of a hat and correct or? Oh yeah, that's a question you asked that I didn't answer properly. Yeah, one of the questions that you're asking me now is, is uh, can it be corrected or at least partially mitigated? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, the answer is yes, but to do so harshly would destroy brand and reputation. And uh, I'll be a U.S. official now. The COMEX price is getting out of hand relative to the China price. Are we going to knock the China price down? No. Uh, uh, are we going to uh, complain about it? Yes, but not about silver. They never talk about silver. Notice that? Green metal. Let's talk about copper. Let's talk about platinum coming back on the scene. They don't talk about silver. Silver is really just too important. I mean, it's in many ways, it's more important than gold. That's my opinion. But what can they do? Well, the U.S. can use capital controls, and they're already using them, but they're not using them in the way that China is using. Um, they're restricting the ability to export gold and silver. Uh, they're um, 
moving the silver from the COMEX vault to the SLV vault, what they're doing is they're, I guess the simple way to look at it is, yes, they could do that. They could do something to make these prices converge. But because China's strength has grown in the precious metals demand area, it might converge at the higher price. So they don't want to. As long as the differential isn't being noticed in the mainstream, they'll let it stay and say, that's the COMEX price. That's the price. That's the only price we care about. All they're going to do is, as long as that price stays low, Chris, as long as that price stays low and people are willing to sell at that price, then the U.S. is the buyer. The U.S. will buy all the silver it can at that price. It's buying it right now. I mean, I don't have any empirical evidence, but they're buying it right now. I mean, J.P. Morgan isn't just buying for China. You know, Bank of America isn't just buying for Singapore or India. These banks are buying for the U.S. They have contracts to buy for the U.S. and they're buying it and they're taking it off the market. And that's what's happening. So as long as someone is willing to be, and I'll say this, you know, caustically, as long as there's a moron out there who's looking at the COMEX price and saying, that's the price, I'll sell it at that price. There's going to be a deep pocketed buyer who's going to say, fine, I'll buy from me at that price. Am I going to sell it to China? JP Morgan might. They have the business out there, you know, uh, but they might be giving it to, to uh, the US. They might be keeping it for themselves. They might put it in the SLV vault. So I think... While they have the ability to fix this in terms of price, they cannot fix this in terms of supply. Until they find more silver, the price will remain divergent or biased towards divergency. And the price will converge when either they find more silver, find a replacement for silver, or the government destroys the COMEX pricing mechanism. So I think they continue to support COMEX because look, a lot of guys are like, you know, COMEX should die, drain the mint. And, and I understand that. I understand that. They're not going to let COMEX die. They're going to keep draining the silver down to a point where it still has credibility as a world price setter, but it doesn't really have any silver for anyone to take. So the price still gets broadcast. The vault is still used. And when we do find supply, we'll park it in there. If China all of a sudden says, we don't want silver anymore, and all of a sudden silver doesn't work for solar, they have some synthetic silver, you'll see the U.S. vaults explode again. And until it does, the COMEX is there merely to set price and, in, and entice weak longs to sell to patient buyers. Yeah, and one thing in terms of China, obviously we've seen the massive solar demand, a lot of industrial demand. Do you think as they're going through their own real estate issues, they've been lowering interest rates in, in terms of some of the economic issues they're having there, do you think that could affect the amount of solar, uh, silver rather that they have been bringing in? Is that? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, a, um, that's a question. That's a good question because I've been asking myself that as a sort of black swan. What makes China stop buying, right? What makes China stop buying all the silver? And I've been watching their economy struggling. You know, they have these, these real estate problems. Uh, they want to rescue the real estate. They don't want to rescue the real estate. China is in the process of trying to change their economy from real estate oriented to other. They want to build other things. They already built enough ghost towns. They want to build factories that export stuff. But their economy is struggling. So I'm saying to myself, and I said to buy like, why the hell do you keep buying silver if your economy is struggling? I'm noticing that 
and this is important, despite China's economic difficulties, their silver demand seems, not seems, is resilient, consistent, and inelastic. And it's kind of freaking me out, Chris. You know, all this bad news out of China, like when the, it's not the bad news today, but when the news is at its worst, I'm like, all right, they're going to stop buying silver. They've got, they're going to stop buying. And I'm like, why are they not stopping? What the hell is going on there? You know, and, and conversations with buy and other people. My understanding is we actually, I did an article on this. Actually, Bai wrote the article. I rewrote it and kind of tweaked it for American readers um, uh, that the, the Shanghai vault or the, or the uh, we're talking about silver here. The silver vaults in China are state owned, right? All the silver that's coming into them is going out into one vault. And that one vault, and I can't say the company's name properly, Guangdong, I'm not sure what it is, but that company that the vault, that the silver is going into, one company is the buyer. That one company is basically owned by the state and they're buying it. A big part of their business, and this is why I'm evolving in my opinion, a big part of their business is solar. And so I'm saying like you are, well, what if solar demand collapses because their economies are in shit? Well, it turns out that this company also is one of the largest investment firms and they sell silver to clients and they keep silver for money. So I think, and this is why I love silver, that despite the economic malaise that China's going through, they have not backed off on buying silver. Maybe they will tomorrow, but I've been looking at this for six months. Why have they not backed off? And my conclusion is, and I may be wrong, but the evidence is there. My conclusion is that they're not just buying silver for solar. They're buying it as a monetary metal for local investment, as well as to use in BRICS-denominated deals um, uh, in whatever platform they use. That's my opinion. I think that the silver demand is remarkably inelastic given the weakness in the Chinese uh, globe. And if China's making all the silver panels, maybe they're going too far. Maybe they should have stopped buying silver last month. I don't know, but they're not. And it's kind of crazy. I think, I, uh, look, if he, if, if, put it this way, if China's economy kicks into high gear, how much silver are they going to buy then? It's, it's insane. Well, the last one for you, along similar lines, we saw that big demand out of India last year, which yeah. really has fallen off a cliff. Uh, obviously, you've talked about this a bunch of times on your Monday show at India, traditionally a price-sensitive buyer. Any thought on what level they would consider cheap again? Um, hard to imagine silver getting back down below 20 into that $19, $18 range like we saw last year outside of... Well, I guess actually here's an interesting one for you. Perhaps one scenario in which maybe that becomes possible is that it seems like the Fed is running into a little bit of an issue with the interest rate hikes now, where it was bringing down their CPI inflation readings, yet now you have the higher oil price, which is, is throwing a little, a little bit of a problem in there. I'm not saying that we're going to see them go back to 75 basis point hikes, but perhaps is that a scenario uh, where we could see a, a more sizable decline in the silver price? And again, is there a level at which you think India sees it, silver is cheap again before getting back down below $20? Well, 
Okay, so 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 there's the Indian demand. What price would they would they possibly be a buyer again, right? And then there's the what type of deflationary event possibly enticed by the Fed would make everything just crap out again. And that's 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 those are two things to important to look at. I think the Indian demand. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's a one-time event. You and I speculated about this, and although we're not sure, we have no evidence. I don't think India was buying all that silver just for themselves. They broker, and the reason I think that is because they're buyers of Russian oil, and then they sell it to China. They are buyers of Russian oil, and then they sell it to Europe. They have been the intermediary, the arbitrager in oil. I think, I have no proof of this, that they did the same thing in silver. There's a demand for silver in China. I, I thought it Russia at first, right? There's a demand. We know there's demand in silver in China. India bought a shit ton of silver. They saved, they kept some for themselves, whatever amount they want, and some went to China. China was buying gold hand over fist during that time frame as well. That's when they started accelerating. And the reason I'm giving this a little bit more credence than I did in the past is because India's demand for silver has dropped and China's direct demand for silver has exploded. Why do you think that is? That's because they're not getting it through India anymore. Now, with regards to India, in terms of price shopping, let's assume that all the silver they bought was for themselves. Let's assume that I'm wrong. Their economy is doing well. It's not doing poorly. They did their purchasing before the BRICS uh, symposium, however you want to call it, you know, a year before. But they bought distressed prices. I think, speaking like a trader on the Indian desk, I think they are a buyer if it gets to the price it did before. We're talking about $18, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. But it's ridiculous. But if we get that deflationary event, it happens, right? Uh, they're a buyer at $18. I don't see them buying at a higher price because of how much they bought last year. I'm more focused on India in the short term with the Diwali season coming up. And that'll be silver as well, but mostly gold. Yeah, so look at that. I mean, there's see that silver? That's silver in, in 22? That's not all for them. That's not all for them. I mean, maybe it is all for them, but, but here's the thing to look at. Uh, how much gold did, did India, I'm not asking you to pull that up, but how much gold did India buy that time? Like, where did they get all this money? you know, to buy all this silver and gold. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But the demand in 2022, you haven't seen that since 2008, 2009. India is a big buyer of dips. They don't chase price. And that's why I would say they're not a buyer until it gets to 1819. If they're buying it at 2021, it's because someone else is buying gold. That's that. Now, the, the second part, the second part of your question about the what is basically the black swan event, the deflationary risk, the example being uh, PAL for some reason raises 75 basis points. Well, there's your deflationary event. Everything collapses. Now, this is opinion, but it's not actually my opinion. It's, it's, a, it's a heart and a type of opinion who's been looking for a hard landing. If we get a hard landing, whether it be because of a commercial real estate collapse or a bank collapse that's not addressed or a 75 basis point hike, all these things will contribute to everything going down. Everything will go down, right? Then you, then you watch to see who's taking the physical of the market. Chris, that metal's not coming back. 
That's not coming back. That metal is being bought and taken off the market. You will never see that silver and gold on the market again, Knockwood, because we're not talking to each other anymore. We're not, we're not, we're not saying, oh, I'll do a silver deal. It's not happening. The global economy is done. I shop globally. I, I, I buy globally. I sell locally, you know, on raw materials. That's that's how it works. And and I do not think. Like, I think metal that's getting taken off the market by India and by China and by the U.S., although it's below our radar, that metal's not coming back. And the above-ground supply of available, investable silver and gold is being depleted little by little. And when it's depleted, when everybody's bought everything they can and there's no more out there, then you will see the price explode. I don't know how long that takes. But the deflationary event, the 75 basis point event, could Powell make that mistake? You know what, Chris, it could be 25 basis points. He can raise it two days from now. And for some reason, the market collapses. It starts with stocks. China can't ease fast enough. And all of a sudden, you've got this snowball. I mean, it, it could be another COVID type of thing. But to, to answer succinctly, uh, I would not, on a deflationary event, I wouldn't buy the first dip. I think the second dip would be bigger. But that's a tactical opinion. I hope that helps. Does and yeah, would certainly would be interesting uh, to see if the Fed did raise interest rates this week. We have, according to the Fed futures, ninety nine percent probability of a pause. I've talked mm -hmm. with a few people who do think they will hike the rate another quarter point this week. I'm not expecting that, but would would be quite a market reaction if they did. I think we'd see things sell off pretty hard. Although Vince, fortunately, to keep us in tune with that and everything else going on in the financial sectors, we do have your writing through Goldfix Substack. And perhaps before we wrap up, just let folks know where they can find you online. Oh, yeah. Um, Goldfix Substack. I'm going to uh, create a link and give it to you, Chris, in a couple of minutes when we get, when we get done here. Um, I'm going to give you a, a link for all of your, um, all of your, all of your community uh, for 30% off for life. I'll just do that. And uh, because I, I want everyone to be to be plugged into this. It'll have, you know, it'll have your name on it, 30% off for life. And I'll give it to you guys. Um, you can find me on on uh, on Twitter, Soren, the K-S-O-R-E-N-T-H-E-K. But I wouldn't put too much uh, emphasis on that because I, I do I do a variety of posting. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's a sub stack. Take a look at it. Subscribe for free. And uh, if you like it, then come back and use the link uh, to um, to go to premium. And uh, that's it. That's it. Well, Vince, I sure appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the columns that you send out, which is nice to get via email and same as what you find on Goldfix Substack. And thanks for shedding some light on what's going on with the rising premiums we've seen. I know you'll keep us posted on your regular Monday show and yeah. Just uh, good to have you on today and do another one of these live calls to start off the week on a topic that I think is of interest to people out there. So thanks for everything you shared here, and we will look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to uh, see you again. Great to do it live, right? Yes.